you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, October the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And being a Rumination Thursday, we have on the line with us the Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you? Well, I'm doing real good after you uh, shared with me. You took a look at three subjects, and we agreed together to look at this one entitled The Importance of the Reformation for Discussion Between Churches. It's by uh, Professor K. Runia, and what he does, he talks about, and I hadn't really thought about that that much, but he, he talks about how Luther has been regarded from different points of view depending on the time when the author is talking about it. In other words, there are many different answers as to the point of the Reformation. But would you uh, share what some of the points of view of Luther were? Okay. Yeah, of course, this is an Australian professor that we're talking about, but Way back when I took a graduate class at the SEM in Fort Wayne from a German professor on Luther, and he always looked at it as forward-thinking Luther, that, that we, we're continuing to unpack the, the Reformation through the eyes of Luther. In this article, he goes to three areas that... Uh, people normally look at him as first Luther was the one who renewed the, the pure doctrine. And then under the age of pietism, they discovered secondly, faith and trust in God. And then thirdly, they, they hit kind of the, the modern era where they talk about the significance that he has on modern culture. So it just depends on your view of history and where you, where you go in and out with, with the view of Luther. So you're saying that the uh, Orthodox looked for the return of doctrine, the Pietists saw him primarily as showing faith and trust in God's mercy, and the Enlightenment, more a liberal point of view, celebrated Luther yeah. as liberator from narrow-mindedness. And, and boy, we're hearing a lot about that today where... People would say, well, Luther would not have agreed with what the Bible is saying with our modern discoveries of psychology, etc., etc. And so right. those are different views of Luther. Right. And the writer of this article says, really, if we, if we want to get back to, to, to a more correct view of how Luther looked at it, we need to look at uh, two things. Uh, first is the solas of the Reformation, and then also at the end of his article, he uh, talks about Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, I think the best sentence in the first paragraphs he's reading, uh, writing about uh, he's trying to show the deepest dimension of the Reformation. And he says that through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ was rediscovered. I, I think that's a really great point to make. Well, you know, oh, 
course. I mean, it's something that we talk about in in our churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod all the time, is that that gospel of Jesus Christ is an article that, uh, a statement that you make uh, almost program in and program out that, that you do in law and gospel. Yes, yeah, so I also make a distinction. He says, this next sentence really was good. This was not only a matter of true doctrine, it concerned the very heart of the gospel itself. And the reason I like that sentence, I hear so many sermons today that are not proper law and gospel sermons. They're really like lectures about doctrine. I think you, I would agree with you. Uh, I mean, the one I heard Sunday was just excellent law and gospel and really got to the heart of of uh, what Jesus has done for us and what we have by faith in Jesus. Yes, um, I know of pastors, for example, when we're going through a controversy. Uh, now, this was not Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It was actually one of my wife's former churches in the ALC, American Lutheran Church. We went there, and the whole sermon was about why creation is better than evolution. Well, that's a great Bible study, but it certainly wasn't a sermon. There was no judgment against the people in the pew, unless they believed in evolution, which nobody did. And there was no gospel of what Jesus has done for you. It was just a theological discourse on doctrine. And I find a lot of sermons... In fact, I get the opinion, impression that... Some seminarians think that if they repeat what they were told in the seminary classroom, then that's a good sermon. But a lot of times what's in the seminary classroom is a discussion of the doctrine of the church, not the application of the gospel that a sermon you know ought to you, be. You know who you sound like? Yeah, Tom Baker. Tom Baker. <laughs> Did you ever hear this uh, professor called Harry who? Yep. Yeah. He was professor uh, at Fort Wayne in uh, liturgy and uh, homiletics. Homiletics, and he was very renowned for his his uh, what they call his coloring book of the confessions. You know, took us through the confessions, but uh, he always boiled it down to: we're there to confess Jesus. We're there to tell the good news about Jesus, and not just a doctrine. Doctrine is for the as you say, for the Bible class and things like that. Now, it's not to say that we don't teach or preach the pure gospel, but that's the whole idea is to get that gospel message out there. Well, can you imagine on the road to Emmaus, the disciples wondering why was he crucified? And Jesus starts in Genesis. Well, first of all, I want to show you why it was a six-day, 24-hour creation. Creation. <laughs> And then I, I want to assure you the Red Sea really did open up. <laughs> and uh, no, what Jesus talked about is where Jesus was in all the Old Testament passages, that he was there from the third verse of the Bible. And God said, let there be light to Moses at the burning bush. He's everywhere in the Old Testament. And that's who he was talking about. And finally, he talked about the gospel, like from Isaiah 53. Why did I get crucified? Because the Lord laid on me the iniquity of all of you. That's yeah. gospel. 
And then their eyes began, when he started breaking bread at the meal, their eyes started to open up and they realized who they were talking to. Well, their actual eyes opened up while he was talking to them on the road. And it it was at the uh, meal that uh, he became known to them. Somehow he was able to hide himself. They didn't recognize him until the meal. But be that as it may, they were gladdened. And I find this with congregations. I've just started in a new congregation. And one of the things I love doing, I'm not that good at finding insights in the Bible. I, I use the many courses I've taken at the seminary since I left. And these professors give some great insights. And the laymen get excited about that. I think you found that also in your ministry. Oh, Oh yes, uh, and I uh, the number one thing that that, that I hear is that uh, is how we explain it. You you know one of the principles that you use in in uh, discussing law and gospel is you break it down into areas that they can understand, like the whole area of adoption and baptism from from Galatians. How you how you talk about uh, we are we are adopted in Christ. And how we are, how a family adopts a baby into the into yes. their family. Yeah. Yesterday, I was given the assignment of giving communion to a, a lady, and uh, she had had a pastor, and she was in a kind of a nursing home retirement center. So I went to see her, and I wasn't really sure about her. Uh, her husband had asked me to go visit her, and I was visiting her. And um, I was saying, well, you know, this is the Reformation. And so I wanted to know where she was at theologically and asked her this question. Uh, Do you believe that you're going to heaven because of your good works? And you're not sure what someone as old as she was is going to respond. And she looked at me and said, no way. I am a terrible sinner. Oh, my. And that was great news. And then I didn't know how good her memory was, so... She was a member of the church, so I said, would you like to have communion? Yes. And I said, I will say the confession of sins and then ask you if you agree with that. And I started off, I, a poor, miserable sinner. I wasn't at the third sentence, and she joined in by memory. Wow. Uh, and I found in instances like that when I've gone, yeah, I do a, kind of a mini liturgy where we do the Apostles' Creed, yes. Lord's Prayer, and they join in there too as well. Right, and then if you get the right hymns, it's amazing how many of them have them memorized. I'm starting at a new congregation and also a university, and one of the things I haven't yet done, I want to get from them what they're favorite hymns are. I've done this at other congregations, and then I try and use them uh, in the in the worship services as we set that up. But a lot of the favorite hymns, they have memorized. Oh, yeah. I, I, I heard once that there's about a two to three hundred hymn base that, that most people have, and it's how do we expand it from there? But you know, out of that two to three hundred, there's at least fifty to a hundred that that are very, very familiar to them and, and very dearly loved. Well, what I've discovered is that they can memorize even a hymn, but still not read it. For example, mm. this is my favorite question. 
Uh, there's a hymn that is pretty well known, and it says, On Earth is Not His Equal. And equal. who is that talking about? And the majority of people say, well, that's Jesus. And is that correct? <laughs> In fact, most of them are going to be singing it this Sunday, right? That's right. It's the devil. About the devil. <laughs> And so that's why Tuesday, Law and Gospel with Mark Smith is important, because we read carefully. In fact, when I uh, preached at the Lutheran Church Extension Fund last Tuesday, we read the hymn, because reading the hymn a lot of times makes a big difference. I also also agree with my friend Jim Belts, who says that he doesn't like that the Bible texts are written in the bulletin because people are then Mm. reading them. He prefers that they just hear them. And it does make a difference. I listen to the entire Bible. I'm now through with it uh, on CDs. And boy, did I learn things just listening to book after book I said, well, I knew that, but I didn't know it was in that book or how it was said or this sort of thing. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm also, you know, from years ago, a student of uh, Bell's from, took Greek from him, learned, learned my Greek from him. And I would agree. I don't, uh, when I go to church and I sit and, and hear the lessons, I don't read along. I, I listen to them. I, I find that you get a lot more to it. And uh, Bible on on CDs, I just you know bought uh, about a sixty seventy compact CD for my wife for her car, and she listens to it. She comes home and she's got all kinds of questions. She said, "Those plagues, for instance." She said, "Those are really nasty things." So yeah, you, you were right. Uh, you know that that the audio is, is is something that we should be paying attention to. Well said. Now, this article, getting back to it, is um, another distinction I like to make uh, between historic faith and saving faith. And I hear a lot of sermons about historic faith, where they're talking about the history of what was going on, but they don't really apply it uh, to the people in the pew. And he says the best way it was applied by Luther is, you mentioned it already, the solas. Now, that's a Latin word which means only or alone. Now, the first one is sola gratia. How would you understand that? Well, it's, it's, uh, in the English, it's grace alone. It's salvation as a matter of pure grace. Uh, I always like uh, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing is the gift of God. So it's God's gracious gift through Jesus Christ that we are given salvation. And And we don't don't contribute anything to that, by the way. Well, he says justification itself is all. A work of God's grace. Yes, yes. God does it all. Now, the next sola, a lot of people miss. They think there's three solas, only grace, only scripture, only faith. But he has solus Christus. And what does that mean? Uh, that is Christ alone. Yes. And, uh, yeah, 
I, that's one of the reasons I picked out this article too. Was that he he brings out that uh, it's only through Christ. It's not a altered Christ where we try to make Christ into something that he, he's not. And that is, in other words, we we substitute words of the Bible for how we think Christ looks at things. And he says there therefore is no place for Mary or the saints or priests as necessary intermediaries, or even for the church as another Christ. But Jesus Christ and him alone is the only one we need. I think he did a real good job on that. Oh, excellent. I mean, it really lays out, uh, well, Christ didn't really mean to say this. Yes, Christ did say that that the only way to heaven is through him. I am the resurrection and the life. And even in our works, the fact that no work can get you saved, my favorite verse is where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Yes. And so it's not until you are in Christ that works start coming. And therefore, they cannot be the foundation of salvation. They're the consequence the third um, sola is scriptura. Why is that important? Uh, the word alone. You, you, uh, God has the first and the last word in our life through the word. There's no place for you know tradition uh, as equal authority or or some kind of uh, magisterium that we set up, but that. Uh, it, it, we take the word as it, as it, as it is. Uh, yeah, and particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, they have a number of beliefs that aren't found in the Bible at all, such as praying to Mary, purgatory, penance, etc. But in the Roman Catholic Church, if it's papally said, if it's done by the Pope in a certain way, ex cathedra, that means out of his office, then that can be as true as if it is in the Bible. And that's yeah. where we disagree. If it's not only the scripture, we, we say this on Law and Gospel all the time. If I ever say something and you question it, demand from me where it's in the Bible. And if I can't find it in the Bible, what I said, then turn the station. I'm a false teacher. Yes, and, and in some of the discussions w- that I've had with uh, Roman Catholic laity, they'll talk about purgatory, and, and I will ask them, I said, where is that taught in the Bible? Yeah. Well, I can't tell you because it, it was a priest or the Pope that told me so. Yeah, the Knights of Columbus, when I was growing up, I read a lot of their little brochures, and they thought it was taught in one of the apocryphal books. But recently, the New Knights of Columbus brochure says it's not found anywhere in the Bible, but it is still a teaching of the magisterium of the church. And this writer says, no, you don't even listen to the magisterium of the church. Uh, that's why C.F.W. Walter had a great quote. He said, the sheep judge the, the shepherds. Shepherd. Yeah. So every time there's a Bible study, you should be checking out with the pastor whether he's really saying what he's saying from the point of view of the Bible or if it's just coming out of his opinion. 
And we say that really, in a sense, very clearly at the beginning of our service. How so? When, when the people make their confession of sins, the pastor says, I in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, forgive your sin. It's not I the pastor, but it is yes. Jesus that's yeah. doing it. Yeah, I'm not doing any baptisms making a child come to faith. Uh, God's just using my hands and the water we have and the words I say, which are quotations from God himself, and he creates faith in that little baby. Now, the last one was sola fidea. What does that mean? Uh, Faith alone. Yes. Uh, That... uh, uh, it doesn't take away from grace alone, but uh, it's the faith that we have, as as I earlier earlier quoted, that uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, not a gift of yourself, not a result of works, but uh, the faith that uh, is created in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, that uh, causes us to believe. And we receive that, that grace through faith. Yes, it's really important to understand that faith is a gift. And that really destroys a lot of Christians who think that they can invite Christ into their heart uh, through faith. No, you can't even have faith until Christ is already in your heart because that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you have faith, there's no necessity to invite him into your heart. He's already there. I've never understood but people want to take credit for saving themselves. That they, they say, well, that seems to be fair. But they sound like the Pharisees who were really angry at Jesus, saying the Pharisees had as their father the devil, and Jesus hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors and forgave their sins. And that mm-hmm. just really bugged individuals because they didn't think that was fair. But it's so important that, that that we teach all four of these, not just as a matter of pure doctrine, which we do, but but uh, to reach out with that gospel, and that uh, through faith in Christ, the gift that God has given us of, of faith, is that we are saved, and that blood of Christ covers all our sins. Yes, uh, when I do a sermon, the the law is where you're failing. But uh, there's different ways to say you're failing. You could just say that's disobedience. Well, I don't agree that that's uh, enough because a lot of people think, well, then I'll just start obeying and counter the disobedience. No, what the disobedience of sin is, is really not believing a promise, not having faith in a promise from God that we set ourselves up as God and we think that God isn't doing his job. And that's what leads to sin. Every sin, every sin is a breaking of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we set ourselves up as God and think that we're smarter than God. Hmm. And Luther even says that in the, in, in, you know, we adopted it in the Confessions and I believe in the Catechism, where he said it all really comes down to the first commandment and everything else follows after that is our fear, love, and trust in God. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, that after the first commandment, commandments two to ten explain how we often break 
the first commandment? If if it was if we would only listen, it'd be as simple as that, wouldn't it? I know, and people just don't understand it. But just look at Genesis, Adam and Eve. They mm-hmm. broke God's commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be God. Like God, yes. Like God. And, and that was really bad. Well, you really found a good article. Um, this author, was he Lutheran? Do you know? It was a Reformed uh, uh, seminary out of uh, out of uh, Australia. Oh, but, Australia. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, they they have some roots clear back to the Reformation. They 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 believe in the Heidelberg Catechism and things of that nature as part of their doctrine. Well, thanks for finding another good article. So we can maybe take a look at the other two articles for next week, or you might be able to find something else. I'm Tom oh, I'm Baker. for more. And that was Wes Reimnitz. And so we're looking forward to uh, next week, Rumination Thursday. Tomorrow's Open Mic Friday. If you have any questions about this, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. The Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.